Hey, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Legendary, a podcast from Vitality where we talk with people from all walks of life about their own legendary journeys. This week, we had the really fun opportunity to sit down with a man of the community. He's a really deep philosophical thinker. He works as a cashier where he interacts with thousands of people a day in these very short um, 10 to 20 second conversations. It's a really different perspective that you get um, if you can imagine yourself on the other side of a, of a cashier customer experience. Um, you hear the very same things repeatedly over and over and over again. And um, our guest, Marcellus, has really um, a profound insight into that experience, as well as just the masks that we all wear when we're interacting uh, in the public space. So without further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Marcellus. Marcellus, welcome to Becoming Legendary, man. Oh, man. I'm excited and terrified <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so, nothing to be terrified about. Maybe nothing to be excited about either, but oh. we're here. It's going to be awesome. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> Always something to be excited about, especially something like this. It's yeah. a new experience for me. I get to uh, chat <laughs> on, on some uh, meaningful topics. Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm All excited. Right. So here's how here's how I like to start. I, I want to find out a little bit about you. Okay. Um, can you tell me what your typical day is like? Oh man, you know that's a tough question to answer because sometimes people will say uh, when they meet me, "Oh, so what do you like to do for fun?" And I think to myself, um, nothing that you would find interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess you could say I wake up, uh, take a shower. Just go to work. I try to be to work maybe 30 minutes early so I can prepare myself mentally. Just go through the day, go home, and uh, watch YouTube, man. So when I say my day is not interesting, that is the truth. <laughs> and I do the same thing every day. So <laughs> what's what do you what do you get into on YouTube? Uh, you know, things that I think help me become more introspective, um, things that I feel are just relevant to my life. Um People who talk about these concepts of power, um, definitely football. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated with divorce. Okay. You know, because that offers a light on relationships that I'm not quite familiar with, but I'm fascinated with how, with the interactions of people. Yeah. And so, um, you know, men, I get on there and I listen mostly to men probably because I'm a male, talk about what their relationship was like in the beginning middle and what it ended up being and a lot of them are bitter but i try to remain detached from that and just try to focus on what i can learn from it um because i interact with people every day and yeah. i just i would like to maximize all of my interactions whether it be with a human being or even just with the land or the universe i don't know some, yeah. how to identify that yeah. abstract concept but whatever it is that i'm on youtube for is is so that i can get more meaning out of life okay so this okay 
So there's this concept of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody everybody will come to to the concept of meaning from a really different perspective, uh, which is which is it, it, in its own interesting thought kind of uh, experiment would be define define meaning for me, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> What are what are the things uh, to you that provide you the most meaning? Um, it's you know talking about meaning. I have uh, I like to talk with my brother about philosophy, and you know, he always stresses values and um, character. Yeah, and so like meaning for me, um, I consider myself an introspective person, and so after spending some time looking inside and trying to find out who I am and what I like and why I like it. I've, uh, I think I've been able to, uh, weed out some of the unnecessary things in my life. So if it speaks to my life, if I can make use of it, yeah, then it's meaningful to me. If it can, if it can reduce time yeah. wasted yeah, and it stimulates my mind. Yeah then I feel like that has value. And so like you said, meaning is it's open to perception. Everybody values something differently. For sure. But it's valuable to me if it uh, sends my soul and my actions and my mind in the direction that I feel will satisfy me on on this journey of life. Yeah. <clears throat> so if I, I, I want to get into kind of um, how you interact with people. But before I get into that, I, I just... This, this concept that you brought up about um, people talking about character is uh, really fascinating to me, mostly because I, I never really interacted with people who who discussed openly character until the last like year and a half of my corporate world. <clears throat> last year and a half of my corporate world were pretty much completely packed full of um, people in really high positions preaching about character and not following any of the things that they were preaching about. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that repels me more than someone talking about the necessity to do something that they clearly aren't obviously living in their life. So, so bringing those two ideas together of, of, um, actually living the existence that you are talking or thinking about to me are the most important things. And I think that kind of leads me into why I, um, why I I ended up initially interacting with you in this really unique way. Um, because (laughs) you approach life in a, in a different way in a different way, right? Like (laughs) I would like to think so. My ego would like to pretend I'm so humble. (laughs) Well, I think just the, I think a lot of, a lot of energy is spent, um, not just the initial thing that you said, how, how can I internalize more things about myself where, and I think the majority of people spend, uh, the majority of their energy externalizing, uh, themselves in a way that they want to put on a show mm-hmm. for, for the populace. Yeah. And I think what's what strikes me as very unique um, about you is that you you really do seem to be the exact opposite of that. You really do seem to be on this very inquisitive quest within yourself. Uh, well, I'm honored actually that you would say that. Um, I don't think I've ever really. I take it as a compliment, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever really handled compliments well. 
when it comes to this idea of character and being true to yourself. Um, that's such a big topic to discuss, and there's so many different angles to approach it from as a starting point, yeah. and then so many different directions in which it can go. And so I guess I can only start from um, from my position, the position that I have gone, that I started from, and maybe we can find how it relates to other people's yeah. lives. Um, to sum up the whole of my life, to start and then we'll go back, I, I would say that my character, who I am, who I thought I was, who I felt I ought to be, was always at conflict with the other perspective. Um, yeah. Who I thought society felt I should be was not quite what I wanted to be or... And what did you think society thought you should be? Uh, man, that's another, that's another, that's another tough one to grasp. Well, I start, I'll start it this way and I try not to go down this road anymore because I'm trying to remove myself from any preconceived notions, concepts, whatever, suppositions. Um, so like, all right, I have a friend and he's interracial and, uh, his, his, Dad is white and his mom is black. And so he has always had this identity issue as far as how he ought to be. Well, you know, what, how he should act from a stereotypical perspective, because there are certain, um, certain expectations that are put on you based off of where you may come from demographically, uh, what your social economic background may be. And so he, you know, he was at conflict quite a bit, and um, he he said, you know, you, if you're a boy, if you're if you're a male child, you grow up to be like your father. Well, being black and white, you know, he he exhibits he exhibits traits of both ethnicities, um, and modeled himself after his father, who was a white man, but also exhibited traits of a black man. And so, right there, you send mixed messages, or he felt he was sending mixed messages. And so over time, he learned to remove himself um, and just try to be who he felt he ought to be. Um, and I feel like the same way. I, I try yeah. not to tell people that my dad is black and my mom is white. Um, growing up, I say until about until about till before puberty, race was never something that I thought about. Yeah, it was just I am who I am. Yeah, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The closer I got to puberty, racial comments from other people slowly began to occur. And I think, you know, the journey of identity really began and uh, who I am, what I look like, what my traits are, my hair texture. And it sent mixed it sent mixed signals like I wasn't enough of one or the other. Um, And so that caused that was just one that was just one aspect. And so I think another aspect is I felt like being a male there's a competition to see like who who is the most dominant male, and so how how should I say this? I know one time I was walking in the grocery store. I was about 15 years old, and uh, there was a man who was walking past me, and suddenly under his breath he said, "You're not as tough as you think you are," and it kind of caught me off guard. I didn't know what to think of it, but he was absolutely right. Like I was just putting on a show. I felt I was a guy, and I wasn't trying to be a tough guy or a or, uh, uh, a menace to society. I was just trying to portray a side of my character that wasn't true. Mm. And, you know, oh my God, I, there's so many things that I can go into 
that I don't even know how to articulate. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to finish. But just over time, I've learned that people treat me how they see me. And everybody sees me differently. Yeah. And so if I act in accordance with the perspective of one person, they may be pleased. But then somebody else who who will observe me exhibiting the same traits will be dissatisfied with yeah. how I portray myself. Yeah. And so I just now I remove myself from those things and I find just a general like I, I try to understand the basics of what it means to live in a society with multiple people. Uh, trying to function as a whole. And I've come to the conclusion, like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I understand everybody wants to be treated with respect. Um, everybody wants to be spoken to as if they possess some intellectual capacity. They don't want to be spoken to like they're a child. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I do. You know, every person that I come across, you are an adult. I will treat you like an adult. I will talk to you like one. I will respect your space. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to get into the motion of just finding out what's important to me. Um, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. It's so no, I think that's a fair. I think you did a good job answering that. Um, and I think, I think that concept of treating treating people like adults is a, a very overlooked concept in um, our current social structure. And part of it is because we acutely emphasize our differences instead of acutely emphasizing our similarities. So if I say I'm this different than you are and we're on these opposite ends of this thing, then in order for us to converse, we feel like we need to speak this very basic language because we're so far apart. But the reality is we have way more in common than we don't have in common. Mm -hmm. I I mean, genetically, we're like identical. Mm -hmm. If we if we look at the variance in my genes and your genes, or any other, any other human on the planet, mm-hmm. it's identical to the millionth degree, mm-hmm. right? So we have way more in common with we have way more in common with everything on this planet than we want to pretend mm-hmm. that we have in common. Uh, I mean, genetically, we're I think eighty seven percent identical to grass. So we, we share a lot, we share, we share a lot of DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's these very, very tiny variances. And we, if we treated everything like we, we like we treat ourselves or like we want to treat ourselves, mm-hmm. we'd have a much better planet. So, you, know, <laughs> you know, when it comes to these concepts, um, they are definitely beyond my intellectual capacities. However, uh, I look at myself now as being a part of a whole. Like you're saying, um, I, I used to listen to the speaker named Alan Watts, and he would say, for for sake of understanding, we would segment the universe so that we can break it down, so that we can comprehend it. Yeah. But in reality, it's all a part of one thing. So, yeah. you know, it's one ecosystem. Um, I am a, I am a result of the earth, and when I die, yeah. I will give nutrients back to the earth. Yeah. Um, you know, to be too specific, I can't I can't say, but as human beings, we can all die from cancer. Uh, we bleed. Yep. Um, and I've heard people say that about celebrities. Like, oh, I'm not impressed by celebrities because they put pants on in the morning just like I do. And there's some, there are different levels of understanding. Like you, I've realized I can understand something up to the point where I can repeat it and then I, and I can understand it on multiple levels. Um, it goes beyond, man, 
It's deep. You know, <laughs> you know actually, kind of getting back to it, I got I got off track. You were mentioning about being in the corporate world and character, uh, you know, people stressing a need to to display uh, a type of character and not fulfilling it themselves. One thing I've come to realize over the over the past few years is that everything is about manipulation and gain. And, um, you know, when it comes to people who want to tell you you ought to act this way, but they themselves don't do it, um, it's more beneficial for them. It creates an environment where they can, you know, they can operate and they can maneuver if they can control how you think and how you do things. Yep. And uh, I, I don't I understand that now. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a really far too common thing right now um, for people in positions of power to utilize this um, this fake model of authenticity Mm -hmm. to create actions of people who are underneath their power and um, with no repercussions for for the person in power because they're the person in power. and that's a pretty consistent thing. I think we could, we could look back historically that that's, it's not new. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are, we've created, I think more, maybe, maybe we've created more, maybe there's just way more people. There's 7 billion people now. There used to be 3 million. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's a a pretty big difference, but, but there's definitely, there's, there's, I think people are feeling maybe, maybe the intensity of the, the intensity of wearing the mask, and that's something that that's, that's really what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's somebody putting on a mask mm-hmm. and um, telling you from behind that mask that they are the person in the mask mm-hmm. when you know they're wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And um, we all we all do we all do wear these masks on a on a daily basis, right? So this your 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 job. Um, is a cashier. Mm-hmm. And as a cashier, you have these really brief interactions mm-hmm. with a constant flow of humans throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, and for you, you, you put on a mask mm-hmm. for each individual transaction mm-hmm. and you consciously put on that mask for each individual transaction. Mm-hmm. How did that, how'd that start? Um, well, for one, I think everybody should work in retail at some point or another because for sure. it really helped me develop character. I think it helped me develop a, a type of social skill that I, I otherwise may not have developed. But you know, everybody is dealing with their own problems. Um, everybody has a different personality. And it's my job literally to make sure that they're happy so that they come back. And you know, in a matter of seconds, I have to try to understand who this person is. I have to feel their emotions. I have to throw certain words out there and see how they respond to those words yeah. to, to, to know what's going to create the most positive vibe here and what's going to make them happy. Some people want to be spoken to. Some people just want to get in and they just want to leave. They don't want to be, they don't want to me to ask them any questions. They yeah. don't want me to ask them how their day went. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're mad. And yeah. if they're mad, I got to try to learn how to make them not be mad or, um, and, um, I don't know. Um, it's just, it's a trial and error process. Um, it's taught me a lot about human emotions that with several other things. Um, so now anytime I go out into a public space, uh, I just try to sit back and observe people. If I go around somewhere that's new, chances are, I won't say much. I try to be as still as possible and just watch people so that I can understand how to interact here. 
you know, uh, and I, it's just a very important skill to possess. Um, but I think there's two ways that there's probably more than two ways, but I think there's two common ways you can go with that in, with that type of interaction mm-hmm. where it's very short, where there's a, there's a very defined like start and end mm-hmm. and they're consistently happening. Mm-hmm. You could just go the exact same repeated process, right? Like assembly line. Yeah. We do. We hey, say, how you doing today? Good. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, how you doing today? Good, exactly. So that, that's an option. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other, there's another option at least, which is what you do, which is really uh, interact in unique and individual ways to each, each interaction. Yeah. How did, how did you decide, how did you end up not doing the, the assembly line process? Man. I think the gears are starting to roll in my head. Finally, I'm, I'm glad for this. Um, emotion, introspection. Um, yeah. you know, as I've examined myself through the years, um, I've been able to get in touch with some of my emotions. And um, through the trial and error process, I think I've realized that I can't put an exact percentage on it, but the majority of conversations with people are emotional first. Mm-hmm. So like, no matter what I say to you, um, how I say it, is going to be it's going to play a big role into how you respond and where to go from there. And some people are going to are going to want everybody wants to talk about how they feel. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to talk about how they feel. I've had people come through and tell me, "Oh, my mom just died," and this, that, or the other. And as long as it, it goes back to me treating everybody like an adult, if I respect your emotions, then I have a good chance of making progress with you. Like first thing I got to do is I got to respect how you feel. Yeah. And I don't know, that's where it all began. So I, you know, I, I think I've been able to, to identify posture and how their body language um, is associated with how they feel. Just like language. I've listened to this guy named Robert Anton Wilson. And he used to say the the map is not the territory, the language, mm-hmm. the words you use. And I don't think he put it this way, but the words that you use are audible representations of abstract concepts. Mm-hmm. And so when I say something, when I say anything to, to some person, it's what they're going to do is they're going to associate these terms with concepts and we'll go from there. And so body language is the same thing. Like I have to associate this posture, yeah. this look with concepts, with abstract concepts. Like how does this person feel and where are we? Um, what are we doing? Yeah. And, and then it's just, it's like, it's like improv, you know, I'm not good at improv. Um, I tried stand up. It was, didn't work out <laughs> too well. And I think for me, like I can't do stand up because, um, I'm so used to interacting with people personally that when I get up on the stage, there's X amount of people and every person feels their own way. Mm-hmm. And so I have to know how everybody feels, what they're all into yeah, they're here to laugh, but not everybody laughs at the same thing. For sure. And so I can't just get up there and start talking about whatever I want to talk about and expect everybody to go with it. Yeah. Um, which reminds me of something that a friend said to me a while back. He, he talked about the art of, he said, life is about selling. You know, everything in life, you got to sell it. And the main thing that's, that sticks out to me is he was talking about selling yourself. You know, so if I got up on stage... What, what it seems to me I would have to do is I would just have to sell myself and either people would like it or they wouldn't. But a part of selling is I'm selling how you feel about something like, um, yeah, you know, I think that's where businesses associate products with celebrity. Mm-hmm. So people, people appreciate one celebrity. And so they, 
they attach commercials with this celebrity for positive association. So anybody who likes this celebrity, there's a there's a trust there. And so they're like, okay, well he likes it, so I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, but it's all just at the end of the day, it's all about emotion and just being in touch with how somebody else feels. So how do you how do you balance the concept um, of of recognizing and acknowledging that there are there are we are, we do wear masks. Mm-hmm. The reality is we do wear masks when we interact in our life, um, and and at the same time we want to in order for us to be completely fulfilled, mm-hmm. accurately represent ourselves authentically mm-hmm. in, in our existence. How do you how do you rationalize those two like seemingly dichotomic dichotic mm-hmm. ideas? You know, I think when we talk about wearing a mask, there is a negative connotation with it. Um, I think that it's automatically assumed that the mask means somebody has a malicious intent. Mm. Everybody might not feel that way as far as what I'm saying with those associations. But the mask is necessary. It's, it's, it's like manipulation. It's um, I have to understand what's going on and I have to put I have to put forth my forces to bring forth the desired result. And so the mask, in many cases, is it's a method towards achieving an end goal. But one of the reasons why I think the mask may have a negative uh, association with it is because as societies, and this depends on the society, we, you know, we, the, 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 the philosophers, they examine what ought to be and what ought not to be and, and why. And so there are social standards that are created. And so you may have to put on a mask because in that culture, in that society, it's rude to go about something in a certain way. And so you have to put on a mask. So when it comes to like being authentic, the only way anybody can really truly be authentic is to know that they won't be condemned if they go about not not wearing a mask, but wearing a more authentic mask and being more direct with their intentions and their, and their desires. Yeah. Because a lot of times you have to put on a mask because it's socially inappropriate. To be direct. Well, well, uh, in our society, 100% of the time we have to wear a mask because mm-hmm. we're required to wear clothing, right? So if we don't yeah. wear clothing, we're arrested. Yeah. You can't go out and just walk into the mall right. and uh, without wearing clothes. Right. So even if you are um, a pure, authentic representation of yourself emotionally mm-hmm. with everyone you interact with, we all are wearing masks because we're we're we've we've put something physically on our body yeah. that shields the world yeah. from our body. Because the mask is beyond it's beyond just personality. It's about understanding something for what it for what it really is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the only way we can ever go about not wearing the mask and really being truly uh, authentic is we have to have conversations like this. Like all of us have to have conversations yeah. like this. I know. When it comes to things like religion and politics, the the thought process behind that is don't have those conversations unless it's in a very personal space and you already and you already know that person. And on one hand, that makes sense because it can invoke violence. Yep. But on the other hand, it's two like, of the most powerful forces in the world. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> hands down. But if you don't have those discussions, it's like in a household, maybe a father and a son. At some point, we have to, for our own identity's sake. And, and knowing our place in the world, we have to challenge. And so I may challenge my dad and he has to 
let me know his position is greater than mine. Mm. And so we'll find that balance and we'll know how to walk the line. Yeah. And so the same thing goes with society. Like there may be certain aspects of life in which, I mean, violently challenge your philosophies or anything about you, but at the very least I'll say, why not? Yeah. You know, and you will, and we will have an articulated conversation and we'll understand what the rules of our relationship is. Right. And we'll be able, and then from that point forward, we'll be able to put on a more authentic mask. Yeah. And when it comes to also wearing a mask, a lot of it is about how well do you actually know yourself? You know, talking right. about this whole thing earlier about I felt, I felt I needed to um, do things that were more African because my father was African American, so I felt I, you know my hairstyles needed to be like him, my skin needed to be the same color as his, and and uh, whatever he did, I needed to do. So when I went out in public and. People, your skin is too light or, you know, your hair is not whatever enough, yeah. then that created an inner conflict in me, yeah. which, you know, continued on for the rest of my life. And I started thinking, well, if that's not who I am, if that's who I thought I was and people are telling me otherwise, what am I really? Yeah. And so I always look to something else and, mm. you know, um, and, and I would just try to, to identify with some other concept that would that would make me be that would make me be socially accepted and also at the same time I would feel like this is actually who I am. Yeah. But like you said, when it comes to wearing clothes, you know, who I really am is more than just who I uh, who how I ought to act socially. Yeah. And the heritage that I've received biologically and um whatnot, whatever what have you, I am I am my emotions. I am the reason for my emotions. Yeah. Um so it's like I in, in my earlier days I was depressed all the time like I was always depressed and it's almost night and day difference now because people are like oh you're always happy mm. and what they don't understand or maybe don't fully acknowledge is that I wasn't always happy I used to always be depressed and at one point at some point I had to think why like why am I always depressed and I found it I figured out why I was always depressed and it's just like a domino effect. One thing led to another. Um, I, found, I don't know. It's introspection. Yeah. Well, I think there's <laughs> there's a lot in that. But I think let's, let's start with the most important thing so that I don't forget it. <laughs> okay. I think the acknowledgement and the, and the, the exactly how we started this conversation, uh, mm-hmm. which is that you are a seeker of mm-hmm. internal information. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And while you are uh, also seeking and um, finding external information, what you said at the beginning was you 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 go to YouTube to find external information that can help you internalize what's going on within your body. And the reality is, it's easy to think that all of our problems can be solved externally. Because we're constantly bombarded with the concept of if you buy this, you will be happy. If you, if you do this, you will be happy. If you look this way, you will be happy. Yeah. And the reality is we all know it. Mm-hmm. There are people that have everything on this planet. And aren't happy. Maybe some of or the most powerful person on the planet yeah. who, it, who are miserable humans. Yeah. And that is is a really important concept that, uh, we all know inherently is true, but we don't apply it to ourselves Uh because we think, yeah, but when I get this next thing, then I'm really going to be happy. No, absolutely. (laughs) Um, uh, it's about two years ago, my brother, uh, 
was gracious enough to take me to Hawaii. And like, so when I went to Hawaii, it was kind of, it was a mind altering experience because I never thought that I would go somewhere that that's, that is that far. For some people, that's no big deal. For other people, that's a great thing. Yeah. Uh, but once I got there uh, and I landed, it's like there's a, a musician who said, um, food is food, air is air, water is water. The rest is all mental. Yeah. So when I got there, like the environment is different. It's a much more green place. Mm. And it has this it has this fame associated with it. It's a yeah. world class place. Everybody in the world at some point, not everybody, but generally speaking, thinks of Hawaii as For a sure. vacation space. For sure. So but when you get there, what does it mean to you? What is it what is that value to you? Why do you want to go to Hawaii? Yeah. Do you want to go to Hawaii because Everybody else wants to go there, or can you appreciate the nature of what Hawaii actually is? Like I see people with Louis Vuitton purses all the time, and sometimes I'll ask them, "So, you know, what is it about Louis Vuitton that you like?" Yeah, and oh, you know, it's just it's just a really good purse. Like I've had it for years, and it's good stitching. And um, but most of the time, they don't know. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can assume is that it's it represents status. Yep. For so sure. that's why they have it. For sure. I went to Hawaii. And I brag about it because it's Hawaii, because it's a world-class vacation spot. Yeah. Um, but is it really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, home is where the heart For is. For sure. And so, happiness is within yourself. Mm. It's not being in Hawaii. It's not, and I don't, I don't have the big house, but it's not having the big house. For sure. It's understanding who you are how you feel about things, understanding why you feel about things, like examining my childhood because I am a reflection of my childhood. And so basically in a sense, it's like my childhood is the why to Mm -hmm. a lot of my emotions now. For sure. Because of what I experienced. Now I feel this way. And because I feel this way, this is now how I act. So then I have to think a couple steps further and think, what are my desired results like, what is it that I truly desire in this world after having gained this understanding on a much more esoteric or psychological or deeper level that this does not necessarily equal happiness? What do I really want now? Yeah. Um, when I say this, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say things that are really true to me. This is my mask. I feel like to speak <laughs> truthfully, it would get me crucified. Like my mom died when I was 15 and like I watched her die. Nothing too crazy, but I watched her die. And that's, I think, is an experience for anybody to have. Yeah. And so every day since 15, maybe up to like a couple of years ago, I thought about death. Thought about death. I thought about God. And, you know, uh, it, it's led me to this place. Um, I thought about, okay, maybe like a year ago. This, this is kind of off topic, but I'll try to bring it back around. A year ago, I was just sitting at home minding my own business. And I was very happy. Like, I was fully content. Um, And then suddenly, I started thinking about death, and it hit me. I am going to die. Yeah, we all are. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, I seriously got depressed for a, a, I don't know if I've ever been that sad, but for, I don't know if it was for 30 seconds. I don't know if it was for two minutes. I don't know if it was for 30 minutes. But for that brief moment of time, I contemplated suicide. Okay. Because it's like the thought of knowing what's coming mm. and that there's nothing I can do about it yeah. was almost more painful than not having to experience it at all. Yeah. And I would like to think that 
by that time, I had already understood or had made it a, made it a point to focus more on living than dying, which is what what is is partly responsible for why I'm a much more happy person now. But at that point, it took it to another level. Death is not the focus. Like that is is clear that it's going to happen. Yep. So instead of of dwelling on the fact that X amount of years from now I'll no longer be here, live here right now. Yeah. So yeah. don't be here. So at this point in my life, sometimes people say, oh, you're always so happy. I'm happy because I'm not here planning for the next five years, although some may argue that I ought to. And even myself, I can make that argument. Maybe I should plan for the next five years, but I'm not. So there's no anxiety about, oh, you know, I don't I didn't make this much money this year. Yeah. And because of that, I'm stressed out. For sure. And I no longer am living in the past with oh, my mom died when I was 15. Boo, poor me. Which, you know, both cases have their for sure. Legitimacy, Without a legitimacy, doubt. But here now is literally the only thing that matters and it's the only place that I have any control with with there's no argument that it's the only place you have control right mm-hmm. like you cannot make you cannot make an argument that you can control the past or the future because uh-huh. you can't yeah we could get hit with a meteorite right now mm-hmm. and that would be the end and we would have no if we were planning 10 seconds ahead and yeah. then that happens doesn't matter yeah so <clears throat> i think that is a there's there's a legitimate undisputable fact in that in that that this is 100% authentic and it's true for everyone it's a universal fact whether whether or not thinking about the past and future um, provide positives or negatives is it is an open discussion and I think it's it's easy to build um, it's easy to build roads mm-hmm. to, to either to either direction it could be it could, it could build a really positive direction you could build a really negative direction and it depends on how we utilize those tools mm-hmm. right the the science on this, it's hard. It's for me, it's really hard to extrapolate, um, what other species are able to recognize Mm -hmm. because we can't communicate with them directly. And, um, I know, I know there's a lot of science out there. Eric and I were just talking about this. Like they say that while they've taught chimpanzees, the ability to use sign language. No chimpanzee has ever used sign language to ask a question to, to a human. Oh, wow. And it's like, okay, but yeah. have we ever asked a chimpanzee a question in chimpanzee? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> because we speak like the fact that the fact that we can communicate with them at all yeah. is rather amazing. Yeah. So I can't, I can't a hundred percent rule out the fact. I don't know what, what animals are able to think. Um, I know that humans are able to contemplate death and the, the vast scientific research will tell you that we are the only species on the planet that can contemplate death. Yeah. And the science is very clear and very accurate and very, very interesting how just thinking about the fact that we are mortal creatures that will without a doubt die affects how we view the future. That science is very clear. Now I think we can make the same argument. It could, there can be massive value in in thinking and appreciating and knowing that someday we're going to die. Yeah. 
And there can be massive value in not spending every waking moment of your life thinking yeah. about the fact that yeah. you're going to die. Absolutely. The re- the reality is, and this is this is like the this is a super hard hard thing to compute and think about. But the reality is, getting the opportunity yeah. to witness our parents dying yeah. is truly like that's the best thing that can happen because otherwise they had to experience our death. Yeah, and. And I would rather have to take on that sadness of knowing that my parents are gone than know that they had to take on the sadness of knowing that their child is gone. So it's like, is that fun? No, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. But it's also like the end game for everyone is the same. Yeah. We, we don't get to choose how this ends. Yeah. It's one thing that no one gets to choose, no matter how rich you are. Yeah. We all end up the same. And it's I, a great equalizer. I said that to my dad. Like, um, you know, Michael Jordan, six championships, defensive player of the year, all pro, MVP, you name it. Yeah. Um, million dollar deal with Nike, Gatorade, Hangs, results is the same. Yeah. Homeless man on the street. Yeah. <laughs> results is the same. Yeah. And like you said, it is the great equalizer. And you're talking about there are benefits to both sides as far as thinking about it and not thinking about it. Um I heard the speaker Alan Watts once say, uh, you know, that animals in the wild don't necessarily think about their death. Um, now, of course, like you were saying, maybe there's some scientists out there who could say that they do. I don't know. But who knows? This whole idea of living in the moment. I was thinking earlier today about another saying about, you know, if you're traveling and I'm not going to word it correctly because I never do this thing. Right. If you're traveling across a body, a body of water. Um, you know, you use a boat. Once you get to your destination, once you get on shore, you don't pick the boat up and carry it on your back. You leave it there. <laughs> yep. And then for whatever terrain you have to cross from that point, you do it however it needs to be done. Now, there are general concepts and principles that that are, um, I don't know, they're universal or, or they go through life and everybody should know this at some point in time. But it's like it's like math formulas, right? You need to know the formula on how to achieve the answer to your problem, but every problem will be different. So as long as you know the formula, when you come across that problem, yeah, you'll know it. So in in a similar way, it's like not when I cross the river, though I'm like I can cross the same river that everybody else is crossing, but maybe one day the tides or, or it's a little bit more violent. Yep. And so in that moment. I need to operate according to the circumstances that apply there. And so in a similar way, I've developed this idea that the middle way is the only way. Mm. Can't be too hot. Can't be too cold. Can't be too violent. Can't be too submissive. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you know what to do and when to do it? That's where like the formula comes in. Yeah. And that's where your intellectual capacity to know when to apply the formula and when not to and when to make adjustments and to be receptive to your environment, your circumstances, um, to calculate correctly and, and to execute efficiently. Yeah. And you know, that's all the responsibility of everybody individually. I don't know. It goes to one of my favorite sayings that people are probably sick of hearing, but, um, it's that extremes are easy. It gets really easy to, um, be too violent. Right. Like yeah. all you need to do is just be violent all the time. Yeah. Or it's really easy to be too submissive and yeah. just be submit to everything. Yeah. It's, it's harder to when know what when to be where. Yeah. For sure. And it's just, th- that is the, it, 
it's easy to be an a-hole, right? Like it's easy to never let someone in front of you in traffic. And then at the same time, there are times when, when somebody should be let in and also times when it's going to screw up traffic so immensely for you to stop on the middle of the 101 to let somebody in that you're causing massive danger to everyone around you. So it's, finding the middle ground is it's what we should all be seeking mm-hmm. what we should all be seeking mm-hmm. um you know like when i going kind of going back to interacting with people you know in my, myself i have to know when should i tell this person off yeah. and when should i just let it go yeah um and also as i said appealing to a person's emotions or responding to a person's emotion can make me a lot more progress so if i respond by if i tell them off in an angry voice with a with a bad tone, it may produce a more negative result. But if I try to remove emotion yeah. from my statement and I just clearly articulate that this is the issue and this yeah. is the only way to resolve it, and I say it monotone, like yeah. I don't I don't put any emotion in my tone, then I'm probably I think I'm less likely to trigger them to trigger their emotional response. Yeah, because I'm serious enough to not be like, hey, uh, do you mind? If yeah. You, you know? But I'm a, at the same time, I'm not like, move out the way, asshole. Yeah. You know? For sure. You need to get the message. For sure. And you need to get the message in a way where I'm just trying to tell you this is what it is. And any any person who is who possesses the capacity will understand. And if, if I deliver it in, in, in the most calm, collected way possible and you don't get it, well, then that changes the dynamics. And yeah. that's not on me. Yeah. That's not on me if you don't get it. For sure. We did this, kind of put this in a different way. Um, and I, I'm interested to get your feedback. We, we had a workshop here uh, last weekend. It was the Art of Being Extraordinary, Module 2. And Chris Ty Melodista said this thing that I really I really liked. It's like, hey, we're, you're in a disagreement with someone. Um, they've done something that you don't like. You could say, basically, the way you did that was stupid. I don't agree with it. And that's going to get a certain reaction. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, hey, when you did that, mm-hmm. it made me feel yeah. bad. Yeah. And there's no way someone can disagree yeah. with how something made you feel. If they respect <laughs> how you feel. And then if they don't respect how you feel, then you know, get them out of your <laughs> for life. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Because that's what, it's, that's what respect is about. For sure. You know, if you let me know that something I did made you feel some type of way. For sure. Then I am to respect how you feel. For sure. And if not, it is your responsibility to remove me from your life. And that's, and that's true. And, and I think that's an important, that's an important thing, um, that people need to be willing to do mm-hmm. is if you have, like if you had a, if you had a, a cancerous growth on your body, mm-hmm. you'd have it removed. Mm-hmm. And if you have a cancerous growth in your social world, you have the opportunity to remove that. Yeah. Even if it's like the reality is there are family interactions that can be so negative and detrimental that they, they, you can't consider them to be a positive to your life. Right. So there are times when you have to do things that might not necessarily be fun yeah. that will be massively beneficial for the quality of your life. Yeah. And we're all trying to be happy. So and this kind of that reminds me of the topic of like in the corporate world, maybe a superior stressing of, on, on to his or her employees be this way. Yep. But then the superior is not. Um, how do I word this? <laughs> then lost my train of thought. But you got to you got to you got to cut things out. Sometimes sometimes people are going to understand. Sometimes they're not. And 
at the end of the day, you need to produce results. Yeah. And you need to produce results whether it's moral or not. And that's on you to decide. But so say, for example, if you're telling these people that they need to be moral and you are not, then it is your responsibility to understand the consequences. So when those people turn on you, for sure, you need to know that. For sure. You know, expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Um, and also at the same time, you know, through conversations, like you said, hey, what you did made me feel this way. Sometimes there are people out there who do not care. For sure. And for those people, you can't kindly ask them, yeah. hey, would you please? Hey, you made me feel this way. So in a sense, it's almost like you're forced to be manipulative, conniving. It's like you got to play the bad guy at that yeah. point. For and, sure. and all different kinds of people can argue all different types of ways about what you should have done or should not have done. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when you need results, you take that chance. Yeah. And you can also walk away. <laughs> yeah, 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 walking away. Like, I think that's a thing that we forget is if you are working with somebody who's telling yeah. you to do something mm-hmm. that is going to compromise your own personal ethics, yeah. you can walk away. Absolutely. And I haven't told this story, but... Uh, my last job, I was, um, offered a giant piece of equity in a multi-million dollar company and, um, everything was great. We were doing big things. We were having a lot of fun. And then the owner of the company decided that he was going to bring on a new CEO and the new CEO started out talking about his life, just his life, just like things he did after college with things that were a hundred percent not true. And I knew for a fact they weren't true. I could verify for a fact they weren't true. And it took me about two weeks before I said, I can't do this. Like Mm -hmm. I can't sit in a room with somebody who starts every single meeting by lying about himself for 20 minutes because it's disgusting. Yes. I've met, <laughs> met a couple of people who it blows my mind how narcissistic they are and how much they lie and yeah. what they lie about. Yes. And their reputation is the most important thing. How yeah. you see them is the most important sure. thing. And you know those people, th- those things catch up to you in ways that are, are really <laughs> just not worth it. Yeah. They're just not worth it. Mm. Um, and yeah. So, so I think it's important to know that you can walk away from things yeah. and you're okay. Yeah. Like I'm still here. Yeah. I, I walked away from a giant chunk of money Yeah. and who gives a shoot yeah. about money? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. So I don't have that money. Who cares? I'm the, the exact same person. And at the end of my life, I'm going to be the exact same pile of dust. Yes. So yes. The, the, I think we get stuck in this concept of um, like, I'm trapped in here and I, I have to work for this bad person. Yeah. <sighs> Choosing our investments wisely goes beyond just the financial yes, aspect. Like, yes. You know, like we've talked about this a little bit before. Um I view every interaction with a person as a business transaction. Yeah. Something is for offer yeah. um, in exchange for something else. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm trying to assess what does this person have to offer me. And some people have nothing to offer me but their ego. Mm-hmm. And so we won't do business. Yeah. <laughs> I will walk yeah. away. Yes. And, and, you know, that is absolutely with everything. And, you know, kind of like at the beginning of this, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know exactly what I was to say. Um, and in life, we can walk away from opportunities for financial growth. And you may or you may not regret it. But at the end of the day, it's that improv. It's when you cross the river, you're not going to do it exactly the way somebody else did it. So when you walk away, when you open a business, when you do whatever it is that you are going to do, you have to, you know, lights, camera, action, you're live. Yeah. We just have one general concept and that's like to be funny. Right. Yeah. So find out a way to be funny or, or, or find <laughs> yeah. out a way to be successful, because at the end of the day, whether you win six championships or you were homeless on the side of the street, we're dust. Yeah. We're dust. We're, we're dust. All right, man. So this uh, this idea that this idea that we we all become dust, I, it leads me to my favorite Alan Watts YouTube video, which is the Alan Watts Inception video. Have you seen that one? Um, I'm not too good with uh, yeah, titles, good. but maybe like okay. I'm, I'm sure I, I might. bet you have. Uh-huh. So he talks about um, the idea of you being a completely knowing and all powerful God. And if you had the ability to live an existence where you could do anything um, every single day with no potential for surprise and no potential for downside and everything was always perfect, Mm -hmm. how the experience of everything being perfect would inherently make everything not perfect Mm -hmm. because you'd – if you could do everything, mm-hmm. eventually you'd do everything, mm-hmm. and then you'd eventually be bored mm-hmm. because there'd be nothing new and nothing surprising. Nothing else to do. And that is why this dust thing is so like valuable for us. It's because every day is a gift. Every morning when we wake up, yeah. wow, we woke up. Yeah, and like that's another thing that's said so often that it loses value. There was a there was a talk Alan Watts was giving. And he made a statement and then he said, let me rephrase that statement so that it doesn't sound so familiar that you misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Mm. Right. And so as far as the clip that you're talking about, what I can recall is the one where you're saying, imagine that every night when you went to bed, you can dream yes. any dream you want for 75 years. Yes. A whole lifetime. Like eventually you're going to want a, a life full of surprises. Yep. And talking about, you know, becoming dust. It creates value. Like scarcity increases the value yeah. of, of any particular thing. For sure. Um, and so, yes, like, like, as, as horrible as we like to paint death, mm-hmm. it may be one of the greatest gifts mm-hmm. we could possibly have. Mm-hmm. That in pain. I was in pain the other day and I was not happy. I was miserable. <laughs> but I was thinking to myself, oh man, like I'm so like everything. I, I thought to myself, life is good. Life is good because normally I don't feel like this. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I know that this is going to go away and I'm going to feel better. And, you know, like, man, death really, to this day, it still affects all my actions, but I'm slowly beginning to recover, I believe. But, um, yeah, you know, my views on what's good and my views on what is bad, um, I feel like there's no such thing as good or bad anymore. Um you know those tea caps? Like you open it up underneath it, it says something. So one that said, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm. Like 
It may be productive. It may be counterproductive. It may be in favor of your emotions. It may not be in favor yeah. of your emotions. Um, but it's all up to debate. It's all relative to perspective yeah. and how you feel about it. So, like, you know, the death of one thing gives way for something new. You tear down one building that's been here for centuries, but we're in a modern world now. And this building doesn't have wiring for electricity or Wi-Fi and the things that would that we could install into this building to attract the new age people. So let's tear it down. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Death is decomposition, destruction, death. This is it's it's made me reanalyze my religious perspective, um, how I should operate in society. Um, I think it should be taught in schools. Like I have an idea that on, on how to restructure the school system. And I guarantee not everybody is going to like that. And <laughs> yeah. most people are like, you're an idiot. You don't have to present. You don't have the credentials. You don't yeah. know what you're talking about, but I'm just going off my own experience. Yeah. Like, you know, let's teach these kids about that. Like, yeah. let's really get these kids, the younger generations, the newer generations to get a new perspective Yeah, on what it means. Uh, to die and what it means to live and maybe we can all start living a much more fulfilling life and I think that when we live a much more fulfilling life there is always the exception there is the person who wants to be a jerk because they want to be a jerk and you can't change that but I think if you increase the number of of self-actualized human beings to promote a higher chance for peace like this whole establishment that you have going on I think this is for a more highly evolved people I'm willing to make that statement some people may argue it may not but you know, like I said last time when we were in there about why I think yoga um, is good. I may be wrong. You may disagree. But to me, it, it seems logical from like a cause and effect standpoint. But there's, there has to be something that brings somebody to this point. Mm-hmm. And then when they come to this point, like to me, because I understand death to the extent that I do, because I feel the way about it that I do, I want to maximize my time. I want yeah, to maximize sure. my experience. And I have empathy. I care about people. I don't want anybody to feel bad when it's not necessary. Yeah. Like guilt and shame has its time and its place. You do something stupid, you should feel guilty, but you shouldn't make somebody feel guilty for the rest of their life if they're willing to um, to to compensate to make up for what they're doing. And I want from I come from a place of empathy. I want to enrich somebody else's life. So every interaction with me is a business experience. It's a business transaction. But believe that I'm not in this business transaction only to take. I would like to add value. Yeah. And if I don't see, even if I can give it away for free, like I'll do it because I've come to believe that I must be that thing that I would like to see in the world. Yeah. How I, how I act and how I carry myself. Yeah. Is how I agree or it would, I would have no problem if everybody else carried themselves the way I, I know that's not going to happen though, but I believe that we're, we're creatures who, who learn by example I followed in the steps of of my leaders and the people who were elders to me. And so people, whether I know it or not, whether I think they ought to or not, are going to follow me. Mm-hmm. Because I like what that guy's doing. I'm going to do it too. So yep. if they're going to follow me, I want them to follow me doing something that I like yeah. and I think that they ought to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That was kind of a tangent to get off on that death thing. But when it comes to a conversation, you know, we were talking about we're all, we're all the same thing. This is all one big picture. Mm-hmm. And so, if you let me talk long enough, I'll get off on some subjects that have almost nothing to do with the original train of thought, but I yeah. can find a way to yeah, make it yeah. all connected. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, you know, yeah. Let's, any questions? Because I have some other thoughts that were coming to my mind when... Throw them at me. Well, 
they're, they're not brand new, but I was just thinking about um, emotion again, kind of going back over that topic and how I kind of came up in the, the emotional, I came up in an emotionally exploitative okay. place. Like just the people around me were all about manipulation. Okay. And so I think I just kind of figured out that this is what a lot of people are about. Like, I, I think I was aware that people are willing to lie and say things to please me, to get me to do things. And so I, in my, in my later on in life, I would come across somebody, even to this day, I've come across somebody where their energy just isn't right. Yeah. Like they say the right things, but your body language doesn't match Yeah. what you're saying to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like, I don't know if you know this, but I don't always like making eye contact with people. In fact, I would rather, um, Avoid most eye contact. Yeah. I only want to look at you every now and again and let you know that like, yeah. you're still talking. I'm, to I'm you. noticing that in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because aside from that, I don't really want to look. I, it's too intimate for me. Yeah. Um, but eye contact is an important thing. Like, yeah. There's there there can be an aggressive eye contact thing and a handshake. Like I've been across people who, who sure. go to shake my hand and it's soft and it's almost like they don't want to do it. Mm. And I get that. Like if you don't want to do it, but if you don't want to do it, don't set up the accents mm. to where it will happen. Yeah. Because set up the accents like, oh yeah, so we're good, so we're good to do business, right? And you go for a handshake. We know that when you make a business deal, the handshake is like the unspoken agreement. Yeah. So if your handshake is off, yeah, but you've also been with those people who like try to overpower you in handshakes. True. And those people, to me, I'm just like, eh. Yeah. I'm out immediately. Out. There's nothing that makes me pull the ripcord on a, on a conversation more than you trying to overpower me in a handshake. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I get all the time. I, mean, I get buddied. I get buddied so much in my life. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> like, it drives me crazy. <laughs> like... I don't know how old you think I am. I don't know <laughs> what do you think, if it's because of my education level, but um, I totally think that when you buddy me, you're disrespecting me because you are refusing to acknowledge my position in this world. Mm. Like this one lady, she's like, oh, what a good boy, right? Mm. She said this to me recently. I thought to myself, I'm 30 years old. <laughs> if I go to jail, I go to jail <laughs> with men, right? Yeah, yeah, for I go sure. To, from 18... To seventy, from people my size yeah. to people who should be in the NFL, yeah, for and sure. there is no sympathy for me, for sure. So you don't have to call me sir. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to address me in any way that pulls puts me in, above you in rank. Just respect my position. Yeah. And so when you call me buddy, <laughs> I check out. You know, I walk away. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. clearly this person doesn't respect me. So yeah. like, I'll continue to to be cordial. But you don't have me. You yeah. don't have my full investment into yeah. what you could have me in until you start to address me the right way. For sure. So, but then again, some people they just say buddy and like you know that's they don't mean anything by it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I, I was gonna say I bet you there are a lot of people out there. Yeah. Who do that in yeah. a way that is really just like friend. Yeah. Yeah. Or like for for me because I'm uh, apparently stuck in the '80s. I use <laughs> dude a lot. And for some people, that's offensive. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you come across people who thought that that was offensive, huh? For sure. I'm legitimately surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it can just... I think it's... every Everybody has their own, like, yeah. things. Yeah. And and at the same time, right? Like, that's something to look at internally. Like, why does why does being called buddy affect you that yes. way? Yes, yes. Right? Talk about introspection <laughs> early yeah. on. Okay, so I don't like this. Why don't I like this? So then at that point, it boils down on me feeling insecure enough yeah. to let it bother me. Yeah, for sure. 
like in the, and there's there's just so much of that in the in the world and mm-hmm. I think there are all of these little things mm-hmm. that go back probably to our childhood yeah where things that are are completely innocent on someone else's perspective yeah. now that's not saying that everyone who says that is completely innocent right yeah. But I bet you there are innocent interactions yeah. intermingled in with people who are doing that in like a look down on you way. Absolutely. And for some reason, all of those get grouped together because we have this thing in us that's like r- rages and roars when it feels disrespected. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of our like a lot of our life could be made easier or a lot of our internal strife could be made could be dampened down if we when those things happen we take some time to figure out why is that getting me like could i replace that word with any other word and would it if they said hey guy like (laughs) (laughs) like you know what i mean there's there's just these things that we all have every one of us has these things and we just i think it's really important that we like prod around until we find them yeah yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I agree. And then there are some people like, uh, I won't be satisfied until you say, uh, oh, Lord of the land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for wisdom. sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, childhood, this is, again, the middle way. I was going to mention earlier about this idea, you know, where Bruce Lee talks about being like water mm-hmm. and trying to just um, yes. live myself in a way where I just go with the flow. It's kind of like walking through a crowd of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just move your shoulders. Yeah, they're not yeah, gonna move yeah, their shoulders. Yeah. Just move your shoulders. For sure, you know. Yeah, and and uh, they you they don't hold the door open for you or they don't say thank you. You know, I can let those things go. Yeah. But yeah. Again, you know, coming back to the mask and um, being more authentic is is the introspection on the level where we look into things like why does being called buddy bother me? Yeah. Why do I not trust people? Why do I not want to look somebody in the eye for yeah. more than two seconds? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, I don't know. I think that's just what the world needs. That's what I want to bring to people. Um, it is what the, like, I feel like, I feel like what the world needs is for everyone mm-hmm. to look within themselves mm-hmm. to solve the world's problems. Mm-hmm. And that means solving your own problems, right? Like taking care of your own BS has a massive impact on how you interact with the world. Because when your own personal world is chaos, it's really hard to go out into the world and and better things Mm -hmm. because you're living in this chaos bubble. Mm -hmm. So can you find five or ten minutes a day to Mm -hmm. just reflect internally don't worry about anything other than you and Mm -hmm. see what see what comes of just those little tweaks just finding those things within us like why we're bothered by silly little things Mm -hmm. and i can name a list of hundreds of those things where i'm just like this is this is (laughs) this makes no sense that Mm -hmm. this bugs me why am i thinking about this 24 hours after it happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You replay it in your head and think about a way you could have been a smart-ass back. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Make this person feel how I felt, um, but what purpose does it serve? None. Ego. It feeds the ego. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... We can can get lost in our own personal path um, 
of uh, our own personal path towards journey and end up on the, the our own personal path towards feeding the beast, which is the ego. Yes, like the philosopher versus the beast when we were talking about that yeah. the other day. Like, yeah. I believe that the philosopher and the beast exist within every person. And every day, it's a constant... Um, it's a balance of power. It's a struggle. Like, because you can't get rid of the beast. The beast must satisfy its primal needs, but yet the philosopher... It's like the, the heart versus the brain. You have to act how you feel, but you got to be smart about it. Yeah. You know? So, but you can't do... Too, you do too much brain, you might become ruthless. You do too much heart, and you become gullible and stupid, and you get yourself taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that kind of leads back into uh, the whole thing about good and bad that that I was saying earlier. I don't really feel that there is none. And we were talking about uh, can't change anything if you don't understand it. I think something that's just pushed under the rug too much is this idea of evil. Like, what does it mean to be evil? We don't think enough about it. Because, yeah. like, at the end of the day, it's going to happen. My brother and I were having a conversation like a week ago, and he said, "I don't believe that any any what is, how do you word it? Any good man made like a logical decision that negatively affected people." And I don't know if he said it that way, but I feel like using those words together kind of delivers the message. And he feels that I can't say how he feels. This is what I said in reply. Yeah, there might be like a general who understands that there needs to be an outcome. Yeah. Outcome is the variable. It's like X. X equals what? It's whatever the general whatever it feels needs, yeah. it needs to be, right? But in order to get there, um, there's going to be conflict, and his own soldiers may die. And first of all, like, let's just keep it on a human level. People will die. Yeah. But he has to make the logical decision. Okay, he can say, what is the outcome? Do we have to have it? Maybe we have to have it. Yeah. Otherwise, we die. Yeah. So we have to have it. And so he has to use logic and say, if we don't have it, we die. So logically, he has strategically, methodically, he has to figure out how to make this happen, and he has to be responsible for deaths. Yeah. Now, that's a big, that's a for sensitive sure. subject to discuss because how many people have been like, "Well, you ought not do this. You should have sure. done that. God this. Yep. Oh, God that." And so, how, you know, this is where the dialogue needs to come up. All right. Well, there's necessary evil in the world. Yeah. And how do you feel about it? And what what should we do? What should we do when it happens? So I think there's. I think we. I think you can take evil out, and you can say there are necessary actions. So there's this fable that you you may have heard it. It's um, a farmer who wakes up one morning and his horse has run away. And his neighbors come over and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, your horse is gone. That's such a terrible thing. Have you heard this? Keep going okay. anyway. So, so this is, I, yeah, this is good. So the next morning, the farmer wakes up and his horse returned and he brought another horse with him. Yeah. And his neighbors come over and they say, wow, this is great. And the farmer says, eh, you, yeah. you know, maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, then, and then the next day, his son is breaking in the, the new horse and he gets bucked off and he breaks his leg. Yeah. And the neighbors come over and they're like, oh, this is terrible. And the farmer says, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the next day the army comes and they pass his son up because he has a broken leg. So they don't take him into the draft. And the neighbors come over and he says, maybe. The point is that the actions are neither evil or good. The actions are the actions. Mm-hmm. And what happens after the actions, we have no idea. Yeah. So 
it goes back to the thought of the only thing we have control of is this moment right here, right now. And all we can do is do our best in this moment right here, right now. Mm -hmm. So I have this thing that I say to people um, when they're making food choices, which is anytime you're going to put something in your mouth, you ask yourself two questions. Is this going to nourish me? And is this the best possible decision I can make for my body right now? And if you ask yourself those two questions, you'll always do the best job possible. There's no way you can not make the right choice if you ask yourself those two questions. And you can apply that to pretty much everything, right? Like, is this the best thing I can do right now? Is this going to nourish my soul right now? So good, bad, evil, not evil are, are... abstract concepts that really we can't apply we can't apply in many situations now there are things that are evil right like going out the school shooting in Florida that just happened right that's a that's evil yeah I won't disagree with that but the response from the students has been so meaningful and impactful Mm -hmm. and different than every other school shooting prior to this Mm -hmm. that maybe this is the event that creates change. Now, I don't want to (laughs) say we shouldn't need high school students to take gunfire for our country to make change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That to me is insane. Mm-hmm. Every single human should feel safe yeah. in their lives. I want that. I believe that I can't imagine anyone who would disagree mm-hmm. with that. We might disagree on how the methods towards safety that. is provided, but everyone should feel safe now. But at the same time, the actions after the event, yeah. Um, may have this map may have the potential to have this massive good for yeah. society. But like you were saying earlier um, about being beings that can contemplate death and really um, have that play an effect on what we do with our lives. We can debate about how evil something is or is not. That it should have happened. That it should not have happened. But we have to use that intellectual capacity to make to turn negative into positive, no matter what it is. And, you know, things that are not good are going to happen. That's the beauty of our intellectual capacity is that we can turn it around. Um, So, yeah, that's a tough subject to speak on. For sure. Especially since, you know, when talking to the general public, uh, it's... uh, Everybody can interpret things their own way, For so sure. I got to be careful For like, sure. not to send the wrong message. Yeah, um, but yeah, turn negatives into positive. Now, you know, like this channel, right? It, it's basically, if I'm not mistaken, growth. Yeah, if nothing else, it's about growth, and how growth happens is turning our negatives into positives. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're right. I mean, growth happens from finding challenge, right? You you never grow without challenge. Mm-hmm. So we need to bump up against the opportunity to grow before we can grow. And whether it's a negative event or whether it's something that we're just unable to accomplish, we have to hit that point before we have the opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. Can't happen without it. It's impossible. 
Now, as anybody who sees me in person can tell, I am by no means a bodybuilder or somebody who spends any time <laughs> in the gym. But, you know, I always hear people say you got to break down the body before you can rebuild it. But yeah. like, that's the point. Once it's broken down, it needs the nutrients and, yeah. and whatever else is required to build and be even stronger. So growth is the same thing. Break down. And um, like that's the duty of a parent to bring the child to provide a comfortable space for the child, but yet at the same time challenge the child and see to it that the, the child is challenged, but also give the child what it needs to repair and make it be even stronger. Yeah. All right. Last question. Right. Last question for you. All right. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, man. Well, uh, if... Uh, my question, I think, will come more in the form of, uh, of a statement because I don't know if there's any one question that would articulate all the thoughts that I haven't even found in my head yet. But uh, hopefully, you can do this again. Yeah. Or if not, the podcast, at least just talk again. For sure. You know, because... Uh, <laughs> we can for sure talk again, yeah. and we'll for sure do another podcast. Yeah, because, I mean... Everything is too big to try to get into one sitting. Like, I know I'm going to leave after this and think of something. Like, oh, who said that? Right? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, oh, well, next time I'll say that. And then I'll get here and all that will go out the window. Exactly. Yeah. But, but I appreciate uh, you allowing me to waste your time. And for anybody who happens to hear this, I apologize for making you more ignorant. <laughs> you know, I've been, I've, um, I've been really looking forward to asking you to do this and then um, have once you once you agreed to do this, having you do this, because I I really appreciate the way you you think about the world, the way um, you provide little knowledge droplets throughout my life. And um, you did not disappoint at all. You you were you were amazing. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. (laughs) All right, guys, that's becoming legendary this week. Um, Thank you to Marcellus. That was a um, really deep, really fun conversation for me. Hope you guys enjoyed it, too. We'll be back in two weeks with another fun conversation. Until that time, peace.